Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development, and each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and get the latest economic insights from our in-house economics team. And good morning to our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. Matthew, despite most Australians returning to the office regularly, there is no let-up in Australia's home renovations obsession with a major shortage of building supplies, including timber being announced this week. It got me thinking, Matthew, how is your estate? Is it up to date? Well, Craig, funny you should ask. Like most uh, Southerners that come up to Queen land relocate when we when we arrived up here we fell in love with a style of housing up here called the queenslander now for those of you who don't know what a queenslander is the defining feature of a queenslander is completely made out of wood it's in fact refurbishing our place i think will give a shot in the arm to a to you know a modest size timber plantation so i think you know a good invest a good investment bet a good private equity bet would be in the timber plantation And of course, Matthew, all sustainably sourced. Despite the building boom, new inflation figures were released on Wednesday showing a rise of just 0.6% in the March quarter to 1.1% annually. This was well below the RBA's target of between 2 and 3%. What did you make of it, Matthew? Oh, yes, well, inflation surprised us on the downside. Uh, we, along with most other forecasters, are expecting a 0.9% quarter-on-quarter rise in inflation. It came out, as you said, 0.6%. And, and that was, interestingly, despite the fact that you've got the housing boom, it was really dwelling costs, which were the main surprise on the downside. They were much weaker than expected. In fact, they fell. But we expect that to to sort of reverse going forward and we expect to see dwelling costs start to rise. You'll also see a lot of volatility in the headline measure inflation um, over coming quarters and especially in the next quarter. You know, when a number of one-off factors actually drop out of the calculation of the annual rate. And we calculate even if you had a a, a 0.1% fall in prices between the March quarter and the June quarter, the annual rate of inflation would actually jump from its current rate of 1.1% to something like 3%. That's that's quite interesting, Matthew, because that seems like a very large spike in inflation in just the one quarter. Can you take us through why that would occur? Well, Craig, this is because the annual rate measures price level today compared to where the price level was a year ago. And that price level a year ago is affected by very low levels of prices in the June quarter of last year at the height of the pandemic. In the June quarter of last year, the price level dropped by almost 2% from its uh, pre-pandemic March quarter. And that, in fact, is the largest quarterly decline in the history of the ABS uh, inflation records. And they date back to 1948. And it's, in fact, the longest series of uh, ABS official records. And the reason why the uh, price level dropped so much in in a single quarter last year is, if you remember, there was the introduction of free childcare and also the drop in fuel prices as oil prices plummeted and that and that caused the uh, that drop in the price level but moving forward into the second half of this year those one off hits themselves will drop out of the annual numbers and the inflation will drop back down below the bottom of the RBA's target range of 2%. So Matthew, I take it this is why the RBA concentrates so much on measures of core inflation when they're framing their policy. Do you agree? Uh, Yes, that's right, Craig. Core inflation trims off the high and low extremes of price movements um, in any one quarter and, and therefore is a more reliable 
indicator of the uh, inflation pulse, so to speak. And core inflation remains very subdued. So the RBA's forecast inflation remaining below 2% for another couple of years remains on track. You're listening to Craig Valenzuela and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our chief economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is taking us through the latest fiscal and monetary insights shaping your investment outlook. Matthew, with their guidance proving accurate, do you expect the RBA will now be pleased with that outcome? Well, even though the outturn was in line with their forecast and their guidance, I don't think the RBA will be happy. They they want to see inflation picking up. That's what they want to happen. However, yes, they will take comfort that their policy settings are appropriate at the moment. Uh, and at this rate, we have to take the RBA at their word and and I don't think we'll see the RBA raise rates until 2024. Given the RBA is starting to run a little low on ammo and inflation remains low as you just highlighted, should the government be using fiscal policy now to push up the rate of inflation? Well, I think uh, there's two distinct roles of fiscal and, and monetary policy that they play in, in terms of the overall policy setting for the macro economy. Now, fiscal policy, its role is predominantly to target uh, the demand for goods and services uh, to stabilise economic uh, activity and employment. It's used predominantly uh, in a counter-cyclical way to, boist, to bolster demand when, when the economy is slowing down and to dampen demand when the economy is overheating. The RBA uses monetary policy uh, predominantly to control price growth. Now, often these two policies work in tandem but as I said, they have really distinct roles. The advantage of monetary policy that it has in targeting inflation, that is, it's far more agile than fiscal policy. The RBA can quickly tighten or ease monetary policies as conditions demand, whereas fiscal policy is far less elastic. If you make a mistake uh, with fiscal policy, it's really difficult to turn fiscal policy off, let alone reverse course. And, and it's that inability to to fine-tune fiscal policy that means mistakes in fiscal policy are really difficult to correct. And that can lead to exacerbating an economic cycle, you know, potentially uh, overstimulating the economy. Well, we'll get into that in a moment, Matthew, but I'm going to ask you a, a quick question then on monetary policy. I mentioned at the start, ammo is a little low, but of course the RBA can go further. Do you anticipate that happening? Yes, I think they will extend their uh, quantitative easing program. Uh, at the moment, the RBA is absorbing most of the new issuance of the government. And if the government relaxes at all on, on fiscal policy front, which we think they will do at this, this uh, next budget, it will mean that in order to avoid uh, upward pressure on interest rates, the RBA will have to absorb even more issuance going forward. There you go. The uh, the yield curve is going nowhere. You're listening to Craig Balanswaller and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is taking us through the latest fiscal and monetary insights shaping your investment outlook. Matthew, this week, the AFR's Philip Corey reported the government are framing budgets for an unemployment rate with a four in front of it. In order to see any acceleration in inflation and wages, is the government now really starting to target inflation? Well, Craig, the unemployment rate is a legitimate target for fiscal policy. It's a legitimate uh, measure of economic activity. So on its own, it doesn't signal that the government is using fiscal policy to target inflation. But there's political motivation in the government's framing of the budget around the unemployment rate at the moment. If you go back to September last year, Treasurer Frydenberg said that fiscal spending would continue until the unemployment rate was comfortably below 6%, uh, after which point their fiscal strategy would enter 
uh, a so-called phase two, which is one of budget repair. In their budget of October, a drop in the unemployment rate below 6% wasn't forecast until 2024. But by the time you get to their mid-year budget update in 6%, the, uh, the below 6% unemployment rate target had been brought forward a year into 2022-23. And as the unemployment rate has continued to fall at a faster rate than what the government uh, had predicted, the Treasurer completely changed tack and started revising the meaning of what comfortably below 6% meant. And by December, this meant uh, a target between five and a quarter and five and a half percent. With the current unemployment rate, Matthew, at 5.6% and Treasurer Frydenberg now saying the target unemployment rate for initiating stage two of fiscal repair is sub five percentage as mentioned, what will be the implications of this shift? Well, that that new unemployment rate target means the Treasurer can maintain an expansionary fiscal position in this year's budget. Uh, The objective is to boost growth over the remainder of the year and hopefully uh, provide the government with a policy counterpoint to the malaise that they are in on gender equality, uh, climate change, vaccine rollouts and, and foreign affairs. They will then be able to hold off an election until early next year, say February or March, and then in a post-election budget in May, revise the budget strategy to shift to phase two of the budget repair if the economy is still going gangbusters, as we think it may well do. You're listening to Craig Balanswather and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our chief economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is taking us through the latest fiscal and monetary insights shaping your investment outlook. If the government does continue to implement large deficits and the RBA continues with zero interest rates and QE, as you mentioned earlier, Matthew, what are the risks to the economy and the financial markets? Well, the big risk, as I see it, is that even if inflation remains slow to rise, ongoing large fiscal deficits will begin to see the yield curve steepen as rates on long-dated bonds rise. Uh, why is that? Well, at the moment, uh, as I said earlier, the RBA is actually buying almost all of the government's new issuance of bonds. Craig, investors don't want government bonds at the moment. If the deficits blow out even further and and growth at the same time is rising, I can only see government bonds becoming an even less attractive investment. The absence then of private sector interest in government debt will mean that as deficits push issuance, bond issuance higher, uh, the RBA will need to increase its QE program of bond purchases to keep interest rates from climbing and as a consequence, the exchange rate uh, from from appreciating. We could end up with an economy down the track that is normalised in terms of growth and, and unemployment rates, but with very large budget deficits and a very large QE program. Now, that would be a tricky situation for the government and the RBA to extricate itself from without risking creating instability in the economy and financial markets. For example, if the government was to tighten fiscal policy too sharply, they could risk sparking a recession. If they tighten too gradually and inflation becomes a concern, then the RBA would be forced to tighten monetary policy and risk a taper tantrum outcome, uh, such as one that was experienced um, in the US back in 2013, that you probably recall, Craig, where 
bond yields in the US surged by over a percentage point in the space of about a month. Yeah, but it's also a dilemma for portfolio construction analysts as well, Matthew, because, you know, where do you get your defensiveness from if those government bonds aren't producing that defensive qualities they have in the past? Matthew, we are just under two weeks out from the 2021-22 budget being announced. Naturally, we'll be getting your timely views in next week's podcast on the likely budget outcomes. But if Mr. Frydenberg was listening to our podcast today, Matthew, what would be your top request on behalf of the Australian economy as he decides on the final details for the budget? The government needs to start thinking about post-COVID situation now, even though we're still in a COVID period. That means they need to think carefully about their strategy beyond this year. We can't afford to run really high levels of deficits indefinitely and they need their budget needs to be framed within the context of an improving economy going forward. Having said that, Frydenberg also needs to maintain support to those sectors of the economy that aren't benefiting from the current uh, resurging growth that we're seeing as the economy reopens. Those are the, are the sectors that are hit by the fact that uh, international borders remain closed, namely tourism, educational services, air passenger services, but also pockets of retail that are very big employers of of labour in the Australian economy. What we don't want is to have those sectors hollowed out while we're waiting for a a full return to normal economic activity. You asked Matthew as well to, I suppose, Senator Bragg with regards to his commissioning of the Lowe Report, uh, trying to position Australia as a financial and trade uh, and technology centre rather. Matthew, thanks for your insights today. In summary, inflation didn't eventuate as some had been anticipating. However, as Matthew highlighted, the devil is in the detail with the annual inflation calculation still containing some of the deflation impacts in the initial wave of the COVID in 2020. And with Treasurer Frydenberg largely predicted to use the May budget to announce further expansionary measures with a view to drive employment higher, has the government got one eye on a near-term election? Or is it simply continued concerns on the ongoing impacts of COVID with an Australian economy highly reliant on iron ore, international borders remaining closed, and the need for the global rollout of vaccines dealing with a mutating virus. I'm Craig Balanswaller for QPod. Thank you for listening. Contact us at QPod at QIC.com with your feedback and have a super weekend.